Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a legend from the band MXPX, from Tumbledown, from Goldfinger, from Cooties, from uh, Arthur as well. Mike Herrera is here on the show, also has his own podcast as well. Uh, but we will get to talking about all, a bunch of this stuff in a second. This is someone I've always wanted to have a big sit-down conversation with, and now it has finally happened. I'm very excited for you to hear this. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for damien If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it, because uh, that's how we get the word out there. You can also support it by heading over to patreon.com slash turned out of punk and checking out some of the stuff we do over there. And thank you, thank you to everyone that does do that. Very much appreciate it. And speaking of thanks, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do. Just uh, don't do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the cost of doing this thing. And that is amazing because without them, there are costs. Who would have think there's costs with a free podcast? But there are. Also, I should have mentioned the podcast has its own Facebook page and uh, Instagram page. Both of those are turned out of punk as well. And that's probably the best way to keep, be kept up to date because sometimes on my personal stuff, I'm a little slow about posting about shows. But Tristan, who does those pages as well, he he's on top of that stuff. So check out those pages. Uh, speaking of checking stuff out, Fucked Up, the band I play in. We put out Year of the Horse. It's coming out on vinyl on Scotty Karate's Tank Crimes Records. Uh, we are also reissuing Epics in Minutes, our first singles compilation. That'll be coming out on the great Get Better Records. And finally, we have reissued after a long last, uh, or it's going to be reissued after a long last, David Comes to Life. Uh, and that is going to be on Matador Records as well. You can find out more information about those over at fuckedup.cc. Fucked Up the Band I Play is going to be going on tour as well. Check out some of those dates and uh, get tickets. There's going to be more shows announced, and uh, hopefully we'll see you there. All things going according to plan. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, Mike Herrera is here. Now, if you are not familiar with Mike Herrera, maybe you are familiar with his band MXPX. MXPX are, yeah, I was talking about this with some friends the other day. When you break it down on like the most popular bands that come out of the 90s sort of punk boom, MXPX is right up there. MXPX, you know, comes up on this show time and time again as being an introductory band for people, especially Christian kids that were trying to get into punk rock because MXPX were marketed and on a Christian record label. And I believe, you know, I think it's fairly safe to say identified at the time as a Christian band, but it's interesting when you hear this episode, I'm not going to spoil it for you. You're going to hear it in the episode. Um, but yeah, very interesting where they kind of fit in into these worlds and a band that really did walk between two very different worlds. We talk about it on the show, but they tour with Cypress Hill at the same time as they're playing like these Christian music events as well. So they are really seeing, you know, a side, both sides of the music industry. Uh, this is a fun conversation. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax. And it, oh, but before I do, uh, you should definitely check out 
Mike's podcast as well, Mike Herrera podcast that can be found wherever you find your podcast, as well as MXPX has been doing a lot of COVID lockdown shows as of late and released some music from those. They also put out a box set last year. Uh, they have been putting out music consistently an incredible run for a band to be doing this after all these years and still putting out records that fans are, are freaking out about. There's some, some, you know, people are saying this is the best stuff they've ever done. So I am excited for you to hear this. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Mike Carrera on Turn Out a Punk. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. I'm really, really happy to be here. I really am excited to talk to you. As I was just telling you (laughs) off air, like years ago, we met briefly backstage just before you guys went on at Reading. I think it was Reading or Leeds because they kind of mix up in my head sometimes. But yeah. uh, uh, And but, you know, we've never had a chance to kind of sit down and talk like this. And so get ready for the punishment, my friend. I'm ready for it. But, you know, it's funny if I could comment real quick. Oh, yeah. Meeting me right before we go on stage is like meeting a different person than <laughs> than a normal, you know, just everyday appearance. But I, I just think it's because I'm like really freaked out about, okay, I'm about to play. So like all of my energy is focused on that. And then it's like, okay, meet this person. Hey, what's up? How you doing? You know, of course you do that. But I don't know how much I actually absorb in those moments. Oh, you know? I, I get that. And also, it's, I think at those you know i just went to riot fest last weekend and those festivals it's just you know it's sensory overload there's so many people coming at you to talk to you and you know and like you're nervous because you got to play and it's just like yeah it's, it's a lot to take in <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, can, I can i'm imagining riot fest right now and i'm just like yeah <laughs> oh yeah it was this year especially was a lot to take in <laughs> but, i bet um i gotta start this off the way they all start off which is mike how did you get into punk to remember the first time you ever came across the genre well okay it was a kind of a two-pronged attack for me or i was attacked you know <laughs> a two theater attack um it came kind of by new wave like new wave into punk my my cousin and my sister my older sister they were uh, about three years older and into into like joy division new order things like that and that kind of led me to black flag rollins band uh things like that stray cats i got into that really early on that was probably the first cassette i ever had but i didn't know that was rockabilly i didn't know it was anywhere near the the punk genre or what what that was but Mm. another band violent femmes again just a tape i got a hold of and they kind of sounded punky and i liked it And, and i really that has a huge influence on me on the early years of learning to play bass and and learning to write songs and stuff but so there's that and then and then um i got the you know i had a friend that was that was into uh ramon sex pistols social distortion um th- that kind of vibe the clash and he was sort of the first guy that had a guitar that i knew and so he'd play the guitar i'd watch him um and I guess I, I guess that's sort of like the the second sort of punk introduction I had is some of those bands, um, and and it just so happens right after that I started going to see these guys in a local punk band. I'd watch their band practice. It was right down the street from where I lived. I'd ride my bike down. This was probably uh, early junior high, and they were called. Uh, they were they're from Silverdale slash Bremerton, Washington. Um, I don't know exactly where each of the other guys were from, but right there, I lived in Bremerton and Bad Juju was the name of the band. 
Bad and Juju. Did they put out records or anything? They, they put out maybe like a, a tape, okay. uh, maybe yeah. one seven inch. They were they really had a set of songs that were amazing, and I got to see them sort of in their beginnings mm. and you know it's funny because uh at the time i was trying to you know i wanted to start a band i wanted to do that you know seeing them play really inspired me um and so they just happened to be a punk band i would say their style was was like a bad religion meets minute men oh wow kind of vibe yeah so i mean very melodic in a lot of ways but some quirky instrument instrumentation at times you know there's so much fascinating stuff that's happening in that part of, you know, I guess the country, America at that point, like musically, like obviously the grunge stuff gets the most of the the ink when it comes to people looking back on that. But there's just so much mm -hmm. cool punk stuff happening, like hardcore or like, you know, just like so many little bands that just don't get talked about like that. Yeah, for me, once I started going to local shows and my door into the early local shows was bad juju was hanging out with those guys i was like the kid brother um and i'm sure that they probably you know at times were annoyed that i was always there i don't know <laughs> but uh, <laughs> i was kind of the clean-cut kid and they all smoked cigarettes and drank beer and and they were in high school too you know so i mean it wasn't like they were old enough to be doing that you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but they were you know and, and to me it was like the coolest thing to ever see is just this band going through their set of songs in a practice and you know the their drummer at the time was leaving he i don't know to me they were adults so i figured oh me he must be uh he must have got a job somewhere but they were probably like his parents were probably moving away or something like that now that i think about it but um they're like hey do you know anybody that plays drums and i has just started playing with this guy jeremy and very naively i'm like oh i know a really good drummer <laughs> <laughs> and uh lo and behold i bring him to practice they hit it off he jams he was a really good drummer and that was a big life lesson of oh <laughs> okay i never saw jeremy again <laughs> like a year later he had two ladies two punk rock girls on his arm and we were at a local show that they were headlining and i was like wow <laughs> And that's when I kind of like was like, I better get serious about my own band. But uh, those were the early years. I wasn't in I wasn't in MXPX yet. It wasn't that wasn't started yet. So that was just sort of like the the, you know, the inkling of oh, maybe I should do this. <laughs> I made the same mistake with the drummer of my first sort of like, quote unquote, serious band introducing them to some friends that needed a drummer to fill in and the exact same thing. So I feel your pain on that. That is a hard lesson to learn as a young person. <laughs> Yeah, it took a while to uh, let that one go. I was just like, oh, but I mean, I still love the band. The band was great. They, you know, I model a lot of what we started doing after what they did, which was they promoted their own shows. They seemed to like rent their own hall. They had a, a network of of a few other bands that they would play with uh, the right things. Uh, they would they would play in their backyard. They would play at at uh, like Boy Scout halls. And uh, there was this Grange they would play at a Grange hall you know, things like that. So that was sort of my my lesson or I guess just lesson by by seeing what they were doing and going, OK, I know I kind of have an inkling of, of what I should be doing once we got MXPX started. But um, but it was fun because going to those early shows, that's where I learned about a lot of the other punk bands, you know, bad for me, it was uh, Bad Religion, Rancid, No Effects, uh, 
of course, Descendants all were kind of early. I, I knew about them pretty early. Op Ivy pretty early. Uh, but Op Ivy is a perfect example of I had no idea. I'd never heard them. I was at a Grange Hall show. It was Bad Juju. Fight for Change was was one of the I think the better hardcore bands that we had around. Uh, Fight did for they, Change was what they're called. Do they go on to some other band? That name sounds so familiar. Obviously, there's that's a very generic hardcore band name. <laughs> yeah, they might. They might have. Yeah, yeah. they might have because they they definitely were really good. Uh, I thought. I don't know. Mm. You know, but um, you know, th- I was at this show and and I remember this weird music coming on like it sounds punk but it's not it's weird you know i just like this it was nothing i had ever heard before and and it was it was op ivy you know and and yeah. i asked somebody and they're like yeah this is, this is operation ivy and so from then on it was like i feel like there's a a pre-op ivy and a post-op ivy uh life and I, I don't know. It was like the lights came on and I was like, okay, there's a lot going on that I don't know about in life, in this world. And I just discovered one, you know? <laughs> so that's how I felt, you know? I, you know, it's funny. I, I kind of look at them as being almost as significant as Nirvana to, to people because like they, they were that band, like you're saying, it's like a lights on lights off moment for so many people that heard them. And it's like the way they did it, like they became famous completely on the underground circuit like they didn't have major label or any mtv backing at all like it was a complete diy phenomena yeah and, and a lot of the bands that i was seeing were were basically living that lifestyle that mm-hmm. diy punk lifestyle uh, a lot of the local shows we saw uh hester prin i don't know if you know a lot of nobody's going to know a lot of these names because they're very small bands and that have been gone kind of for a long time but uh the gits uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Battle band. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came over and played in twelve thirty Dreamtime. They're from Port Orchard, Washington. So they were. Uh, they've gone on to do a bunch of bunch of bands. Not so much in the punk range. They kind of got into like the the acid rock, butt rock thing. But really <laughs> good at what they do. Uh, Tony Reed, uh, Goodbye Harry. He's so actually he's been in so many bands. Tony Reed can't not be talked about when it comes to my local punk scene because I didn't know him until later, but I'm, you know, he was definitely playing uh, in 1230 dream time at that point. So I, I remember seeing early house parties with a lot of these bands. Um, Neutral boy was another one. Neutral boy is an early punk. Well, they actually started around when MXPX started, but they, they were a little older than us. They were seemingly, you know, were in the scene longer. It seemed like, but um, you, you know, you're talking about how grunge was, the main thing people talked about and back then it was very much mixed Mm -hmm. and a lot of the grunge bands were punk bands and a lot of the punk bands were grungy i don't know if that's a seattle northwest thing um but like bands like the gits you know they have they're a punk band but they got that grunge thing you know it's not it's not like california style skate punk you know mm-hmm. uh half a cat from bremerton became visqueen um there's there's a lot of bands kind of like that in seattle uh that, that came up that i was really into um the fastbacks mud honey um you, oh sicko i don't know if you ever heard of sicko great band absolutely yeah so i mean there's just like all these bands that i'm trying to remember i'm like oh yeah them them but um th- i love the fastbacks because they were so melodic and i loved hearing songs because they were a Northwest version of maybe something like, like what all was doing. Mm-hmm. 
was a huge fan of Descendants and all, and and went and saw them actually in junior high, ninth grade. I went and saw them at I saw all at the OK Hotel. Uh, My name played, Big Drill Car played, um, and I think it was a three three band bill, and that that was a huge eye opener too. Like that was a to me that was going to see the big show. I had seen my first like real concert was going to see U two, uh, the Zoo TV tour. So, and this was like when I was maybe just getting out of elementary school. So I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. So going from something record. like that to like uh, all at the OK Hotel was amazing because you're <laughs> right there. You're just like, I'm right there. I, okay. And that's when I was inspired. You know, I saw funny story. I, I, I wanted, I didn't know I wanted to play bass yet, but I saw this bass guitar uh, that the the bass player for my name or big troke are one of the opening bands was playing and it was an ernie ball music man stingray and everybody that knows my band knows I, i've been playing those forever mm-hmm. and so i saw that bass and i was like that's a really cool bass and i thought that that was all because this is i had no idea what anybody looked like yeah back then it was like half of the tapes i had were dubbed <laughs> anyway but even then most of the the cover art wasn't necessarily about the band it was something else back in those days so i just didn't know what anything anybody looked like and so i thought that was carl carl alvarez mm-hmm. on bass not that i knew his name back then but uh ever since and then i and i saw all go up and i'm like oh that wasn't even okay Uh, but (laughs) i'm just like this kid just learning new things at at every turn i'm just like i can't believe how dumb i was five minutes ago and and that happened to me literally every time i went to a show every time i went to a local show i would just discover something new like black label beer never heard of it before until i went to like one of these local port orchard shows with bad juju things like that you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> not everything is is pure gold as far as knowledge <laughs> I, I it's funny though because like at that time information well it cost money and it was it was hard to come by like a lot of times so you like you wouldn't necessarily know what these bands look like but it was okay to be wrong a little bit more back then like i think now you're expected to know everything because we have the ability to fact check ourselves at every turn now yeah, of course. It was a different time. I wasn't thinking anything, anything like I think nowadays. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I had the fastbacks written down to talk to you about because I think they are one of the sort of great underrated pop punk bands uh, of all time. And I was just wondering, like, they must have been like, did they come and play Bremerton? Like, or did you, or did you not see them till later when you started going to no. Seattle? Yeah, yeah, I didn't. They didn't. They didn't pers- personally come to Bremerton. Um, quite a few bands did, but not them. Um, who, who else coffin break i don't know if you remember yeah coffin absolutely break. they, they, they were an epitaph to too i think at one point i think so they opened yeah. for green day for a pretty big show <laughs> at deviate in seattle um but to the fastbacks i became a fan of them just through their records honestly mm-hmm. like because back when we were coming up there was way less all ages shows most of the shows were 21 and over especially in seattle and there wasn't that many shows in bremerton so hence all the shows that we went to were at Grange halls, Boy Scout halls, church halls. Uh, Sometimes, you know, a lot of times just parties in a garage, you know, a lot of the early bad juju shows I went to were, were another band's house where they Mm -hmm. would just set up in the garage. There would be a skateboard ramp, beer in the, in the, in the kiddie pool, whatever, you know? So uh, that was different back then because we just couldn't get into those shows. And, and I'm sure you probably want to talk about Nirvana a little bit, but 
Nirvana was a band we didn't even get a chance to see until they were already big because we were too young. I'm actually like fascinated by people that kind of grew up in the area and their relationship to Nirvana because I find it so disparate. Like I had Nico Case on the show one time talking about going to the Aurora Ballroom and how transcendent that show was. And then Nate from the Foo Fighters and, and Brotherhood and Galleon's Lap was on the show and he talked about being at the exact same show. And he's like, yeah, I opened the door and I was like, oh, cool. They're trying to sound like Nirvana. I was trying to sound like Led Zeppelin, sorry. And I just shut the door and walked away. So I find it like... There's a lot of polarity and I find like, cause they would have been, I don't know, such a different presence to kind of be coming up around. Cause by the time you guys are starting they're they're still active. Yeah. So I remember I didn't even hear about Nirvana until, until grunge was starting to get big. So Pearl Jam had a song out and that like, I guess that's early nineties, like right when MXP started in 1992. So I remember it was the year before I was in junior high. Ninth grade for us was jun still junior high. We were, it was the last year of junior high. And so I remember being in the hallway and hearing a Nirvana song. It was Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I'm, and I'm going, this is a really weird Metallica song. <laughs> yeah. Because I had no, I had never heard them. And I really hadn't heard much grunge. Like it was very new. And it was, and it was as if I was, I could have been in New York or France. It didn't matter because we were we were across the water, which is an hour an hour drive or or a, a boat ride across mm -hmm. the water. So we were very cut off uh, from that scene early on. Now, once it got big, we knew all about it, of course. Um, bands like Mud Honey still played shows, and so we, you know, my bandmates, especially Tom and Yuri. They uh, they went and saw Nirvana, Mud Honey, Pearl Jam, all these kind of grunge acts pretty pretty early on when they were still doing. They saw an arena show as well, but I think they saw a smaller show. But I never actually saw Pearl Jam or any of these big acts. Like I saw Mud Honey, and I saw I never saw Nirvana. So I feel. I feel a little ripped off actually now that I'm thinking about it. I never really was bummed about that, you know, and I, and I definitely have been a, a huge fan of Nirvana for, you know, from that first time I heard that song, I was like, I really like this song, <laughs> even though it sounds like Metallica. Uh, but I think it was the voice that set it off for me. Cause it was, it was like a gravelly voice. I was like, that sounds like James Hetfield. And if you listen to teenage to, to, if you listen to that song and think James Hetfield, you might go, okay, I hear what you're saying. But at that time, I'd never heard Nirvana before. So you pre you know, loaded, you, you're, you're psychically predicting loaded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, there was a band, uh, seaweed from yes. Tacoma, Washington, and they played Seattle a lot and saw them play. They were, I loved them, you know, and they were another good example of a, the weird, the weird genre of Northwest punk slash post punk music. I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, it's just, there's always something different about bands. I think up there, up here, I'm up here, <laughs> up there. You're actually more North than I am right now. You're in Toronto, right? Yeah. Just slightly more North, but yeah, yeah. a little more North now, but like, it's funny you say that because Seaweed's another band that I would definitely lump in that category of bands that have kind of been forgotten because they weren't, you know, even though they did stuff with Sub Pop, but like they were, you know, like people from Super Chunk, when they come on the show, they talk about how important that band was. And like people from the Pacific Northwest talk about how important that band was, but mm -hmm. because they didn't really fit in with 
you know, the, 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 I guess the epithet stuff that was happening or with the grunge stuff that was happening, they fall into this weird sort of middle gulf that you're kind of talking about. Yeah. And I really liked it. And, and, you know, but, but you're right. And I don't know how much touring they did outside the state, you know, so Mm. who knows what, what they chose or were able to do, but, um, you know, I, I love them, you know, and, and their record, their records, you know, maybe I haven't heard, I haven't listened to it like in, in the last year or so, but I think they probably hold up, you know, they rip. Yeah. Yeah. So going like, I think about like a joy division, you know, that, that to me, I know I'm skipping way over back to the new wave stuff, but back when I was just listening to music for the first time, like really listening to it, Mm. it was bands like joy division and new order. And I don't know why I am not at all, you know, I probably am influenced by it in ways that I don't understand, but not in the electronic type of way, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> not in the new wave vibe, but um, I definitely feel that, but who knows, you know, seaweed uh, there's, there's a lot of bands I think in the Northwest that are like that, that have their own sound that don't really fit with other people. Um, you know, I think uh you know, Visqueen's another good example of that. You know, they, they, the, the, Rachel Flotzard, I don't know how to say her last name, but Rachel is her name. And she's a great songwriter because she came, she was writing with Hefficat here in Bremerton, Washington. They, of course, broke up and she left and went to Seattle. And, and, you know, I felt like I, I discovered an album, a buddy of mine that was, that started the band Mike Moen from, from Neutral Boy. He, uh, he gave me like their unreleased record and it was so good. And you're just like, how are these songs so good? Or is it just me? Is it just like written perfectly for me? But there's a lot of bands like that, that you're just like, they had, they had a a lot going for them as far as like talent and songs and even recordings, but they just kind of got lost to that weird middle, like kind of the music business kind of collapsed for a while when Mm -hmm. Napster came about and all that. I don't know. I think it maybe, maybe did a lot more damage than we even realized, you know, all of us regular, you know, just artists that have just kept going through all all of that. You know, I'm sure there was more going on up here in the Northwest, but once we were going, we just started touring around the whole, you know, country and then the world. And, you know, we, we, we kind of treated, we treat our hometown is our hometown and Seattle is kind of our hometown, but it's still just a, a stop on the tour. Usually, you know, it's, it's a place to go and play and, and the crowds are great, but. Um, well, yeah. yeah. Cause you, you eventually lose your hometown. Like, you know, obviously it's always going to be your hometown, but like, I find you, you know, like you, you have to let go of the scene eventually because you're going to be gone and sort of the world becomes your scene as pretentious as that sounds but that's the reality of when you start touring you can't really you know unless you're ian mckay you know and somehow able to retain the leadership of the scene but like for the most part you kind of have to let go of the local scene to when you go around the world yeah it's really hard it's really hard to keep up with it and and you know what's great about being around these days is I can kind of keep up with it a little easier without actually having to go to every single show. You can, you can pay attention to certain bands and know, you know, and, and I've been doing that lately. I've gone to a couple of local shows and it's been fun again and people are having a good time with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's really hard once you leave though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's especially in the immediate after you leave, because then there's almost like, No, like, and it's not even necessarily, maybe it's, maybe it's just perceived, but like there is a resentment 
that can be felt, I think. Well, at least, you know, talking from personal experience, I don't know if you felt the same way, but like mm. when you do start traveling, you do start going around, like, you know, it, people start treating you a little bit differently and not necessarily like you're a star or anything. Sometimes it's like, you know, why'd you leave? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That happened early on a lot of some jealousy between the, in the scene. Um, you know, it was, you know, there was a joke back in the day where somebody would play like a completely clean guitar and, and they'd be like, and then be like, who's that? And then be like, it's MXPX. <laughs> because we, because there was a lot of like really heavy punk bands and heavy metal bands. And we were almost, we were different. We were like in the elk of, uh, we, we were, I was really into dead milkman at the time. Like I loved the dead milkman. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and going back to some of the early influences, stray cats, violent femmes, dead milkman, you know, things like that, of course, you know, uh, I also, we didn't have a proper amp or guitar pedal, so we didn't know what to use to make it sound cool, you know? So we kind of just had what we had, which is also lame, but <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But, but like that created the sound, right? Like, and it is, it's obviously a sound like, you know, you guys come up a lot on this show. Like it is a sound that has influenced generations since then, but it's funny you bring up, because I never would have thought Violent Femmes were the Stray Cats, but you can totally hear that in your sound. And I guess that's why you guys were willing to make songs that had space in them. You know, like it's it's, it's punk tends to be a genre where there's not a lot of space given. And Violent Femmes are a band that I've always found gives space to stuff in their songs. And, and uh, you know, I, and, and I can really hear that in what you guys do now. So it's funny you say that. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. And even the Stray Cats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Stray Cats, like I was saying earlier, I didn't even know it was rockabilly at the time, but I just liked it. I just, I was drawn to it. And I had come from before that, like right before I got into some of the, I guess, kind of punk records, you know, uh, like Stray Cats, Violent Femmes. I was into Brian Adams, Reckless. Uh, I was into, <laughs> you know, so Summer of 69, One Night Love Affair, you know, Tina Turner singing duets. Um, I was into that. I was into uh, what else was it? Huey Lewis, huge Huey. I'm still am a huge Huey Lewis fan, by the way. But um, I would sing to those records, and that was sort of got me into singing. I think I, I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. that and the first song I ever heard or remember hearing was "On the Road Again" by Willie Nelson, and, which is a, a you know a punk song in its own right. And it's funny, like with the. Uh... Stray Cats, like Brian Setzer before that was in the Bloodless Pharaohs, one of the first Philadelphia punk bands. And I just had Richard from the Violent Femmes on, or sorry, Brian from the Violent Femmes on the podcast. And mm. dude was 100% a hardcore kid, like you are a punk dude. kid. You go going to shows and he was talking about going to see the band The Haskells like 200 times and, you know, Dykroitzen and, and Black Flag. So it is, it's funny how there is that DNA. And, and once again, Joy Division and New Order as well, you have that DNA coming from punk. Yeah, I mean, Brian Ritchie, the bass player, like, I should listen to that episode because I'm a huge fan of his playing. I I was so influenced by a lot of those songs. Please, please, please do not go. That song. Yes. Um, that bass line. It's a slow song. So it's like, to me, if it's a good song, I don't give a shit. I'm just, I'm, this is, this has to be written, whether or not it's going to end up on an MXPX record or this or that. And, and that goes so much more even for listening. You know, I just, I listen and if it's a good song, it's a good song. And, and those songs are good songs. And, and I feel like at the same time I was getting that bass influence, I was getting the influence of what makes a song memorable. 
you know? Yes. And, and yeah. so, you know, whether or not I learn that subconsciously just by being a, submerged in it, immersed in it, uh, that, or, or I just finally put it in my head, but I feel like it's finally coming out in my songwriting even more where every song has something. And if it doesn't, then it's just, you know, usually it's, it's going to sit in the back burner for, for a while until I figure that, that part out. But I wonder if that's just music's kind of changing a little bit. And we, we all realize everybody's got a short attention span and, and you have, you have to like work a little bit more, but at the same time, MXPX is a very simple band where we write simple songs and, 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 there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, I mean, look at look at the Beatles. They they did pretty well. But <laughs> so you know, I don't know. Always learning. Well, the and the Violent Femmes I think are the perfect example of that band. Like they're also weirdly one of the first punk bands that I got into um, in the same way. And but like every song is memorable. Even songs I don't like, I'm like, well, I still remember it. Like it's still going to stand out. And they're also they're doing something with very simple, like even more simple than than our bands like they're doing stuff with just yeah. acoustic instruments and brushes on on a drum but yet they're able to kind of create these whole worlds with what they're doing so i think they're they're such an inspiring band to look at how how weird did you feel when you first heard american music the first time i i couldn't believe it you know i remember <laughs> being I, I i i drank for a very brief period before i went straight edge but i remember being drunk at a party i must have been about 15 um so definitely shouldn't have been doing it um and yeah. <laughs> within you know 20 minutes of being at this party had put on american music and was trying to explain to people how this song worked as in a very slurred kind of delivery yeah that song is an incredible song i still go back and marvel at the way it's written because there's just so many voices in it it's like it's, it's like a real musical yeah and it's so different from anything you would expect well, that I, as a human at the time that I heard it, would would ex have expected them to do, mm. but it worked, and I loved mm. it. And I was like, "Why do I, this is so weird?" Yet I really like it. I'm just I don't understand myself anymore, you know. Well, I'm well because I didn't even get him to him through a record. I got it into him through added up, and you know, which is like kind of like a career retrospective type thing. Okay. So to me, it was all coming at me at once. So I had no idea there was just delineations between different albums and things like that or anything. So I was just uh. like this is the most incredible band ever. Like I just can't. See, I, yeah. I had only heard blister in the sun, um, the album over yeah. and over and over. And that was like the album I played all the time. And then finally they came out with that and, and maybe they had other albums out and I just didn't know about it. Cause it was in those days where you can, you, know, you don't just look it up on Apple or Spotify yeah. <laughs> or whatever, you know? So I didn't know. And I got that record finally found it at peaches or, uh, where, whatever, wherever I was buying, buying stuff at the time. And it was, it was just like, this is so different yet. I could totally hear them do, you know, it's the same, but just so different. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it didn't turn me off, which I was, I guess I was confused about because it, it, before that, you know, I went through a phase of like only liking punk bands like black flag and, you know, the descendants and, screeching weasel and the queers and stuff like that you know and i only listened to punk bands and, and the first time i heard tom petty i didn't like him because it was too soft you know <laughs> but but of course i kick myself every time i think about that because he's one of my all-time favorites you know going forward but things like that is like that to me is another lesson I, I always have to to remember how dumb i am 
sometimes when I react to something the first time. So a lot of times my first reaction isn't, isn't the right reaction. And a lot of times it is, of course, but when it comes to hearing music, it, it used to be a lot more judgmental. And nowadays I'm, I'm I don't know, I guess I, I, I'm more free to just like something. Yeah, I think that comes with age too, right? Like is realizing how, and I think also it, it, it's so much of its self-defense too, like that rejection of all the other music around you. It seems like that's part of the the process of getting into punk, you know, like, and it's in that movie, 24-Hour Party People. There's that scene where they're tearing the posters off the wall after they hear the Sex Pistols for the first time. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. must go. And it's almost like you need to like, get rid of everything and then just slowly you realize like oh shit a lot of this stuff was awesome and i can like it all yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that that comes with age that comes with experience but uh, I, I, you know yeah what do you want to talk about <laughs> oh no i was gonna i was gonna ask like so what how did it kind of start with uh how did like cause i've heard two different versions about how you guys connected with tooth and nail like one was that you guys played a showcase for him but then i watched that documentary and it was through meeting the guy that would wind up producing the early records, right? Yes, 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 yes. So we we were so when we got started, we were playing around town, you know, where, wherever we could get gigs at like coffee shops and uh, local churches and Boy Scout halls and stuff like that. So the local all age scene, basically. And some mm -hmm. of those shows we put on ourselves and some like the coffee shops would be like, hey, can we do a show? You know, or uh, this one particular one it was called New Song Coffee House in Port Orchard, Washington, the next town over. And poor old Lou came over and played and they were a band from Seattle. And so we got to open for them and we brought a cassette tape. And what we did, you know, at the time was we played basically a live demo in practice <laughs> to a boom box, you know, in the middle of the room. Yeah. And if it didn't sound right, you would just move it closer to the bass or closer to the vocal or whatever. It's like, all right, that's right. So that was our first demo. And we, we, uh, it sounded all right, actually. It didn't sound much worse than our album, our first album. <laughs> I think some of that stuff's on the internet too, because I've heard, I think, some of that demo stuff. And it sounds, yeah, like you're saying, it sounds pretty awesome for a demo. And again, of course, it sounds terrible. But um, so we did two, two actually cassette albums like that of really terrible songs before, uh, before Poconacci. And, that was how we connected with Aaron Sprinkle, the producer. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, he was kind of acting like he was this big time producer, yet he had never really recorded anybody. So <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those fake until you make it things, but it worked. We came over, we, we recorded four songs for free, by the way. So it wasn't like he was getting anything from us, but, but uh, I think honestly, he kind of was getting a career, you know, it, it was the right thing to do. It was like, yeah. if I, maybe if I do this or that's what you do in the early days is, is you just do everything and they lead certain relationships or certain things you worked on lead to something bigger. And, and that's what it was. And, and absolutely great. So, uh, but Aaron was uh, at the time, definitely not saying how little he knew about recording because we showed up. We didn't know any, we know, knew way less. So we never would have known, but uh, we showed up and did four songs and he gave that to Aaron or no, he gave that to, to Brandon Ebel of Tooth and Nail Records, whom we didn't know anything about at the time, but he knew him. And so uh, he was like, maybe they'll do a seven inch. And, and so when Brandon heard it, he was like, yeah, let's do a seven inch. And then he thought about it more and he's like, 
no, let's just do a, let's do an album. And he wanted to sign us then. So that's how we got signed to Tooth and Nail. We did do a showcase before he, before he actually like offered us the contract. He was like, Hey, can I come up and see you guys play? And so that was sort of like the, the final nail in the coffin for getting signed to Tooth and Nail. So what was the scene like that you guys were playing? Like it was, it was still a secular scene that your guys were from in Bremer or like just sort of a mixed scene, right? It was a mix scene. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, th- so Bremerton was just DIY for the yeah. most part that all the bar shows like East side tavern, which ended up being the Manette saloon. Um, those were all 21 and over. And so we didn't even think about that. We just went and did shows at like the, the Grange hall and sunny slope. Um, although I don't think MXPH actually ever played there, but, um, a lot of shows were there mm-hmm. we played other places. I can't remember the name of in, in Port Orchard. Um, and it was always just like somebody wanted to do a show, some kids or to us, they weren't kids. Cause everybody literally was always older than us. And so I think that's another sort of key to our success was we started so young and it's not young for nowadays, but for then it was young and yeah. everybody in the punk scene and in the local scene was either our age or older. And once we started getting out into like the more better shows, we were definitely always the youngest band. And so that really kind of got the novelty of that got us in the door. And the fact that there was no other real like skate style punk band playing, it was all, like I said, these weird Northwest style bands that had their own thing, which is great, but, but just not what we were doing. So we were kind of modeling ourselves after the descendants and black flag, not even black flag, even though I was a, I was a fan of like Henry Rollins, Rollins band end of silence, um, which is another super weird kind of influence type album to be in. Or what I mean by that, it's kind of weird because it's such a slow, heavy, dark, <laughs> brooding album. And I was so influenced by that record, not musically, I guess, maybe every now and again, if I'm like going to do a bass solo, some of that Rollins band stuff will come out, you know, but yeah, but yeah, it is weird where I've gotten so many. Maybe that's what just makes us again. We're from the Northwest. We're a little different than than say like a Pennywise or or uh, No Effects or you know even like No Use for a Name, which I love all those bands. Um, Lagwagon definitely was a big fan of Lagwagon and uh, Strung Out. They came to Seattle and and we were just kind of beginning as MXPX when I saw them play and. You know, and I wasn't the kind of guy that would just like walk up to people and start talking to like other band guys. I, I would always just watch, watch, learn. And and of course, later we all became friends, but, you know, not not the first time I saw them play. Same with Rancid. You know, I was standing next to to Tim Armstrong, uh, you know, during during the show when the band was there was a band opening i think it was the muckle teo muckle teo fairies if i remember correctly what? i've never heard of that uh, band sorry what? they're gnarly dude like they're <laughs> they're like uh super like kill rock star style really fast and that's the song next song that's awesome it's so funny to think about rancid in that brief kill rock stars period where they're like up in the Pacific Northwest playing with like Bikini Kill and bands yes. like that. Yeah, because uh, they played at the that the um the Capitol Theater backstage, which is the more is the smaller version of the back of the Capitol Theater, mm-hmm. and it's basically just the back of the backstage of the theater. So uh, the show is on the stage. Yeah, and everybody just packed in there. So I was standing next to Tim, and then all of a sudden 
you know, the band's done and they go up and play. And it's like, oh, that guy was like literally standing next to me, like half the show. Didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would have said anything anyway, but <laughs> well, it's it's funny you brought up all those like not with Rancid, but the other bands you brought up and like the difference between your guys' sound and the, the sounds that those bands had. Like to me, the thing is, those bands are all kind of like coming, maybe not from metal, but metal is definitely there. And it seems like you guys are coming from a place where I don't know metal, like obviously apart from the Nirvana Metallica thing, but like metal's like less a concern and it's more like a pure punk kind of Pacific Northwest thing. Yeah. I mean, I think me as a songwriter, I was heavily influenced by the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up listening to them before I knew what punk was and, and that has to come into play some somewhere. And it was definitely the poppy, like the first couple albums of the Beatles. So it was like all their like super just straight to the point hooks. And you know, of course, it's taken a while to develop some of those hooks, but I feel like just so as a song, it just needs to have a hook. It doesn't have to be like dark or happy or this or that. It just there has to be something that is like interesting about it. So I think maybe that's it. I mean, I definitely like some metal. I grew up listening to like Metallica and, and things like that, but maybe that's sort of like only scratching the surface. If you're a metal head, right? Like that's like, okay, that's like the stray cats and rockabilly. Like, come on, dude. But maybe that's it. It's like, but I don't know. I like the, I like the best that a genre has to offer. So sue me. Well, what I also like, yeah, because those guys, some of those dudes in those bands were had played in glam bands or like, I mean, more like a C like a Los Angeles metal, from that era oh, kind of the, thing like like yeah okay that's see not as much uh that's not as uh it's not as much clout in that style of metal. Yeah. so so uh yeah. <laughs> they can't talk shit yeah no there was a lot of bands up here that uh you know local bands like there would be a, a friend of mine uh i won't say his name just in case it's embarrassing but he was in this super glammy metal band in hollywood and they were signed, they were getting signed to this major and they had this deal and all this thing was going to happen. And then like nothing happened. And it's like, what, what the heck is going on? And then he comes back and, you know, starts playing and he's a great drummer playing in all these bands and, and doing his thing. But, you know, it almost happened for a lot of these, you know, some of these musicians. And, uh, and then I feel like with punk, it was a different kind of thing. It was like, you don't do it and try to make it. You literally just, do it and, mm -hmm. and and one day you look around and your peers are lag wagon and no effects and bad religion and you're what's up brian baker how you doing you know so it's like <laughs> it just happens and, and of course it doesn't just happen there's a lot that goes on in between that but you're not focused on that i think you're focused on on your your crew your your music your band what you're doing where you're touring what you're doing each along the way every problem each flat tire every time your engine overheats that's what you're kind of dealing with uh and then you turn around and if you've you've lasted through that it's like uh it's like uh, some sort of uh some sort of obstacle course you know, some deadly obstacle course but you get through it and you're like okay here we are and uh i think punk rock is really been like that it's been like this crazy obstacle course but you know you could say that about it just about just about anything in life probably and i think punk is also just like you're saying you know like like you know when you were the kid forcing your way into a band practice to watch another band practice like punk is made up of people that that did it you know like you 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 just wanted to figure out how it works so you you got involved and you kind of like 
did stuff. Like I find it's really like, you know, obviously there's a lot of luck involved and certainly some skill and things like that. But like a lot of just making it quote unquote in punk rock is just doing it. And, and the fact that you keep doing it until like you're saying, until you do it. Yeah. I mean, that that's when people ask, like, how did you, how have you become successful? And it's always because you just keep going because there's so many things that don't work. And finally they just start working. So, I mean, you know, when it comes to doing shows, tours, you know, obviously making albums, every album we make is a little different. The process is slightly different, you know? And so, you know, we're already, uh, when we're practicing new songs nowadays, we're practicing in a different, in a way that we've never practiced in, in our whole, almost 30 years as a band, we've never done it this way. And it's like, how did it, how did it not occur to me to like prep these songs this way before coming to practice? And then things happen so much faster and <laughs> I'm just amazed. I'm like, I, I'm absolutely amazed. So things like that, it's like, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm figuring it that out now, you know, then that just means we're going to keep figuring out more and more things as we go. Um, because you guys were putting out records when you're still in high school, like the first album comes out, you're in senior year, right? Yes. So yes. Was there like a, a punk celebrity thing? Like, did people like know the band and were people like, I'm, I'm always fascinated by people that were in bands that young that actually were, were doing stuff and had a profile. Well, there's, there's, there's two sides to that story. I, I was pretty shy even though I was in a band singing and I would put myself out there, but like, I wouldn't talk about the band to just regular people, to strangers. I would, I would tell my friends about it a little bit, but not, not selling. I didn't want to sell myself. And back then, of course, I was discovering punk and I was discovering straight edge and it was like, okay, all these hardline type ideas. And, you know, I didn't want to like fuck that up. Right. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I had a lot of weird very just simple and black and white kind of like ideas about about life and about music and everything really so in that way no i didn't take in 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 the other way i know that we definitely had a following and we and we were selling out shows in high school selling out our local silverdale uh uh silverdale community center probably like around 200 people um so we were doing great and so i don't know i would I would kind of like skirt both of those things. So in, in one way, I'd be like the promoter telling certain people all about my band and about the show that's coming up. But then at school, I wouldn't do that at all. Like just to the, the regular students. And I, I, I really, you know, I don't really regret it, but uh, sometimes I shake my head and think about, wow, I really uh, could have, I could have uh, <laughs> taken a lot more advantage of that with the ladies in high school, but I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> With, um, would you guys have played with, or did you know Reason for Hate? Reason for Hate? No, I don't think so. That was uh -huh. Jeremy Enoch and William Goldsmith's hardcore band. That no, yeah. See, I we didn't meet them. We didn't. I met Jeremy um, later when he was already doing Sunny Day Real Estate. Okay. And so I met him in Seattle. He would play acoustically sometimes at some of the venues that we were playing. Some of the like nor we'd play like the u district so north north of seattle north of downtown seattle the u district wallingford um that's that's where we recorded that's where um the there was a band uh blenderhead another seattle band i should i can't believe i forgot them we did our first tour ever with blenderhead and they were again kind of a post-punk 
band um, that had an East Coast sound, but they were from Seattle. So, you know, they sounded like Jawbox or something like that. Um, and it had some really cool songs, had a, a really good record. Um, but so they would do shows. We would open for them at parties, at gymnasiums, things like that. Always all ages. Usually um, we weren't they weren't playing bars. We weren't playing bars. We couldn't play bars. Um, the first bar we played was the uh, it was in uh, it was in Portland, Oregon. So uh, I can't remember. Satyricon, maybe. Absolutely. That's I was like, it's like a it's like a pterodactyl. What is it? No, that's, <laughs> that's in uh, Georgia. Um, yeah, Satyricon. And we we got there and we were just kids and they made us sit in this section uh, that was sort of like, I don't know, it looked like a jury box. <laughs> yeah. We had to sit up there all night or or outside because we were still underage. Yeah. But but we went on at 2 a.m. Like 2 a.m. Little kids underage. You would have thought they would have just put us on first and so we could go home. But they made us wait through every single band. And I think we were last or second to last on that bill. And uh, I, we played it. We did it. And there was like three people dancing in the audience, like super stoned, I'm sure. And we had no idea. We're like, they really like our music. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> who, who else were you playing with at that show? Like, just like, was it just like sort of a it random was a show? random show? Like, you know, back in, yeah, back in those days, there would be sort of just a, a lineup of a bunch of different shows for at a bar. And mm -hmm. then you would, you would go, they did this a lot in LA um, at like a hotel cafe or something. You go and you tell them who you're there to see. And that person gets the cover for, for you yeah. or that, that artist or whatever. So it was kind of one of those deals. And so nobody was really there for anybody. It was just, they were just there. <laughs> yeah, just at the show. So yeah. who, who were some of the bands that you guys were playing with? Like, was there a scene of people that were doing sort of faster, uh, popular punk at that time too? Like other than obviously the fastbacks, but like, were there like younger bands that you guys were like part of doing this sort of sound? We were sort of the first as far as pop punk bands but there was another band who, who actually was tom was our guitar player he was in, he was the drummer for this band before he became our guitar player so um he was in a band called evolution of man okay and they they definitely had like a bad religion vibe to them you know just it was just rough you know they just weren't quite they just weren't quite good but you know it was close it was close and they had the right idea so you know, so there was them. We played with them a few times. Um, we played with Neutral Boy. We played with, uh, with uh, I think we played with Brain Sick. You remember, I don't know if you know Brain Sick. They were more no. of a local band as well. Um, a lot of the guys in Brain Sick were in a, a lot of other local bands that I saw growing up. There was like a crew of, of uh, punkers that worked at Spiro's pizza and pasta in Silver <laughs> Washington. And I got a job there in high school. Yeah. And I got turned on to all sorts of stuff. Pennywise, no use for a name. Anything you can imagine, it'd be cool to listen to while you wash dishes at a pizza joint. <laughs> you know, that's why. So that was like another big sort of punk rock uh, academy for me, you know, just learning a bunch about a bunch of new bands. And that back then, you know, that's how you did it. You know, you, you either found out from your job, your friend, school, your older sister, your older brother, cousins. Mm -hmm. um, so I was into it. I, you know, I learned a lot of bad habits in <laughs> working there. <laughs> well, like we're saying, information is hard to come by, right? Like, so you had to like hang on to every scrap of it. You had to hang on to the people that that had the information to figure out what was going on. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Where'd you guys go on that first tour with Blenderhead? So we, we left, it was 1995. We left two days after we graduated high school and we made a video the day after we graduated. So we made a video <laughs> called want Ad for the, the song called want Ad, Yeah. Uh, which was our first video. And then the day that next day we took off in the van, we had one roadie and he was, he was like my sister's age, like three years older than us. So he could, yeah, I think he was like 25 or almost 25. So he could rent a, a hotel room. He could rent a car if needed, you know, emergency yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so we had that and then, then just us. So it was like four of us and we went straight down to California from there. We, we did another video. We did punk rock show and then we did a show um at some warehouse you know it's like again a lot of all ages stuff um we went all over we went across to to um through arizona flagstaff we broke down in flagstaff yeah we went all the way to through florida illinois we probably didn't get to like montana or anything like that but like we went it was a full month long tour <laughs> full month and we ended up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and that was our last show and had a big, you know, celebration. Woo! And then we had to leave the next day to go to Newport Beach, California, where we had a show in like two or three days. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're going on these tours, like obviously you're saying Blender had a, a different sound. You guys like already, you know, up here at least had a following by that point off the first record. We're like kids coming to see you just for you guys by that point already yeah we had a little bit of a following and some shows were better than others you know our our smallest show was beloit wisconsin which i have no idea where that is yeah i couldn't even wisconsin. put that on a map <laughs> and uh and it was hot as hell and it was in this pizza parlor and we were all wearing our on just in our underwear because it was so hot and there was 14 people paid which honestly now that i think about it is not that bad <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, there, there are definitely some shows where I played to less than 14 people. Paid. <laughs> yeah. I know. Like that's not that bad. I mean, yeah, that was our worst show. And, and, it, and it was probably an average of there was the biggest show was, was maybe like 800, 700 people, but with us and with Blenderhead and, and MXPX, we both had albums out on tooth and nail records and we were going to tour the year before and our guitar player, Andy would not ask his parents. <laughs> he would not ask his parents. So like, dude, just ask him, bro. Ask him. I'm sure we didn't say bro back then. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but but uh, he he was just like, they're not going to let me do it. You know, he was a year younger than us. He had already started missing practices. You know, he was like, I got to mow the lawn. Sorry, I can't make practice. We're like, dude, are you kidding me? You can mow the lawn whenever. Uh, things like that. And so <laughs> kind of just kid stuff. It's, yeah. And that's why we ended up kicking him out of the band. We're like, man, we really, we really believe that we could make this work, this band. And, but we have to go and do it. And, and the time is now. And so he didn't, he didn't really think that. And so, but he was mad at the same time that we kicked him out. Definitely. So, I mean, it was bad blood for a long time. We're good friends now, but uh, it was hard, but you know, we got Tom, he came over from drums to guitar. So, it took him a while to even learn how to play guitar. He learned how to play guitar, you know, to Green Day and Bad Religion records and MXPX, of course. But well, it took him a long time to get past getting kicked out of the band, just like it took you a long time to get past losing your drummer. 
You know, like sometimes these yeah. things take years to get over. That's true. That's true. I know how he feels now. Because um, <laughs> like with Tooth and Nail, was there just like a built in audience that would come to see bands that were on Tooth and Nail at this point? Because it's still fairly early into the label or. No, there... no, no, not yet. Um, okay. So we got signed pretty early and it was just a couple. There was just a couple of releases and we were maybe the fifth or maybe we were the 14th album. And okay. definitely not a lot of them were punk bands. It was like there was an electronic band there was a alternative band you know he was like he was a college music kind of guy so he kind of like ev- liked everything right? everything yeah he wanted to sign everything so there was one of each or two of a few things but like yeah. there was only one punk band for a long time and that was mxpx and back then it was just still people like passing around tapes and there's in zines and and talking about it like that way there wasn't really there wasn't much more than that. So it was really hard to find our records. Um, so it was just at the very beginning. We really, we really got it, got in on the ground floor as far as Tooth and Nail Records goes. I remember going to see Focused, um, their hardcore band, one of their hardcore bands, but it was the it was like their second signing, I think. Mm-hmm. And they were a great band, like they put out a great record. Um and I just remember going to see them play and it was, it was the same thing. It was like in this tiny little, like almost like a, a New York, just think of like Ray's pizza in New York, like something yeah. like that's what it looked like. But I don't know if it was a pizza. Cause I don't remember that that far back, but it was just a tiny place in this hardcore bands doing a show. And you're like, to me, it, it was cool. I, I didn't think anything of it, but now that I'm thinking of it now, it's like, yeah, it was tiny. Everything was pretty it- tiny. It's weird how pizza places are also a very specific venue. When we played Olympia for the second time, we played a pizza parlor in, and I definitely played many pizza parlors over the year. It seems the last thing I want when I eat pizza is to know that there's been a bunch of sweaty people running around the cheese beforehand. Oh yeah. I know the <laughs> cheese gets even sweatier. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing I found interesting in that tooth and nail documentary is the fact that like everyone keeps saying over and over again that there was like no Christian punk until tooth and nail. There's no Christian alternative music. Like keep bringing, keep bringing up striper and stuff like that, but no one mentions bands like the lifesavers or the altar boys. Like, were you familiar with that stuff at all? I wasn't before tooth and nail. I learned about Christian music mostly through tooth and nail. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was some punk bands. There was uh there was one bad pig. There was, um, there was a couple other bands like that that were like, pretty bad as far as like they didn't write good songs that band altar boys and lifesavers are those bands are fucking incredible yeah yeah those guys wrote some pretty good songs but they they definitely had a different style it was more i was raw it was definitely raw so like to me i was like i'm going for a newer sound Mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing um but no i we were we we found out about altar boys when we were doing that on the cover album and so we're like, Tooth and Nail was feeding us some ideas, you know, <laughs> so I checked it out. But yeah, Lifesavers, Michael Knott, right? He was always a, a real bad boy. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I, like, my friend actually went and saw him uh, at a show. Like he came up and played Toronto. And apparently within, you know, people that know Christian music, he's like looked upon as being like a Bill Daniels or, or uh, someone from like the Fastbacks, apparently. But like he's like, a, yeah, like you're saying, a controversial figure, too. Yeah. Um, I've got the, I've, I've picked up this comp. What's shaken. 
and Alter Boys is on that. And that's kind of my introduction to that whole world of, of bands. But it's just, uh, it's amazing how there is sort of this, this sort of tradition of this within punk rock, you know? And I, and I find it interesting because you guys seem like a band that almost fell into it more than chose it. Is that a fair assessment or no? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I grew up uh, going to youth group and stuff like that and, and just grew up in a, going to church now and again. And, and, and so I was influenced by that, of course. And mm. then musically I liked just punk. I liked punk rock. It didn't matter. Uh, I swore plenty when I was a kid, you know, I did a lot of, I was, <laughs> did plenty of bad things as a kid, you know? So like, it wasn't as if I was a perfect kid. Uh, and then we kind of fell into this, this tooth and nail records was interested in signing us. We weren't even trying to get signed, you know? So, yeah. so in that, in that, aspect of it we definitely fell into it and we're like okay sure let's 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 sign let's make a record let's put a record out let's see what where it goes um and then here we are in this world you know but um you know we we always we always had planned to just play regular shows and that's what we did and that's what we we kind of like followed through on and and now it's just it's like we're all, we're almost like of course we're in the genre of punk, but MXPX has a sound and has a fan base, just like a lot of bands do. And so it's just, it's kind of insulated. It, well, it's so, cause you guys, it must've been, I'm just fascinated by what it would have been like to be obviously part of this one world, but then at the same time you're playing with bands like, and obviously Fat Mike blossomed a little bit later, but like you're playing with like no effects, you're playing with bands that that partied, like bands that you went on tour with fucking Cypress Hill. Sorry, I didn't mean to swear, but like you went on tour with yeah. Cypress Hill. <laughs> you're like, you, you went on tour with bands that I imagine would have been you know, not necessarily at odds, but like some people within that other, you know, within the Christian music community must have been like, you know, that stuff doesn't fly. Yeah. I mean, it was always, there was, there was always some, some, uh, somebody that was talking shit. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so, <laughs> you know, after a while, I just, I just grew out of it. Like, like many people do in life. I, I grew out, I decided I wasn't going to be religious anymore. I wasn't going to follow that. And, and, and it's not like I, I was already a very liberal <laughs> Christian, I guess you could say back in those days. Um, and you wouldn't get that necessarily from just listening to our music, but, but just me as a person, you know, I, I would, I don't have a problem with swearing. Do I swear in front of my kids? I try not to, I don't, I really mm -hmm. try not, but do I have a problem with it? No. And so, you know, just over the years, it's just, it hasn't been something that I even really think about, um, which is so weird, right? Because some people have their whole life wrapped up in whether or not there's a God. Yeah. I, I think it's also weird because I think punk has gotten more open and more accepting of, of everything now and like more spiritual in a lot of ways where you can kind of have, but at the time it was, the lines were pretty pretty drawn you know and i and and people were very like reactionary and it it feels like now it's different like looking obviously i'm older and don't get as out to as many shows now but like looking at these bands now it feels like it's a much more accepting scene than it was then when it was very divided very very polarized yeah what blows me away is now that i'm no longer a christian there's a lot of punk bands and members in very prominent punk bands that that do believe in god mm -hmm. that that pray that do all this, these certain religious things. And it's not necessarily in the forefront of what their band is. And so nobody knows about it, but like I'm known as this like religious punk band guy yet. I'm, the, I'm not even a Christian anymore. So it's like, <laughs> huh, weird. You know, that's that, but that's how life is. That life is truly about 
uh, about sort of these narratives that get swept away by the crowd, by the yep. just the sheer numbers of of people that have seen seen it one way. And that happens politically too. You know, something that's completely not true is a, a huge story and seen as truth. So it's one of those things. And and it is, it is weird, but not weird, I guess. It's just, I guess that's just part of life, but so many people, not just, not just people in punk bands, but fans that listen to punk rock identify with some sort of spirituality much more than I ever, than I think ever was a thing back in the day. Uh, but it's just changed so much. You're right. I, I think you're right. I, I've personally felt like punk rock has gotten more uplifting. It's gotten mm-hmm. more positive. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that, that I don't know, it's not as okay to just bitch about things as much. You, you can bitch, but you have to have solutions and you have to come up with uh, something constructive to really like get people's attention. And you don't have to, but I, that's my personal thought, you know, yeah. is, is if I'm going to, gonna bother people with my 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 songs my art let's be constructive let's let's make things let's make somebody listen to the song and feel like it, it was worth listening to and that doesn't mean i i don't want to write a silly song or chick magnet is something we should retire forever or something you know but but uh because that's you know songs do things for people even dark songs do things for people i was talking to uh, uh anthony green on on my podcast and uh you know he all he's such a positive person but if you listen to his songs his lyrics they're so dark and so sad and but people get a lot from that a lot of positivity from that well look at joy division you know obviously that's a very sad ending but Mm -hmm. like or, or even blue monday i was watching a commercial the other day and they were using blue monday to sell something and i'm like wow like it's it's amazing how separated that is from the lyrics of what the song's about you know where where yeah. it's now being used to to sell a product because it just elicits that good feeling in people that don't necessarily know what the the subject matter is obviously right, it's slightly right. different than with anthony green but yeah um, i you know what it's funny also like you said you know you almost in punk rock have this thing where people idolize and put people up on pedestals and basically create characters of people like you know it, it and it starts very much in the beginning like talking to jello biafra and just the way he became jello biafra the character separated from the person and i think that just becomes i don't know it's just something that is i don't know maybe it's not unique to punk rock but it just feels because everyone's trying to be as authentic and real as possible that it just happens differently within punk rock the way people do it it does. It does happen, though. You're right. I mean, let's take somebody like Fat Mike, you know, yeah. hanging out with Fat Mike. People see him as a certain type of, of person and he's not always like that. But but, uh, you know, it's like, OK, people see the one dimension. They don't see the other dimension. Uh, somebody was saying the other day uh, that, you know, people when you people are different, you know, depending on what's happening to them. You know, if you're getting fired from your job versus your first day getting hired, you're going to be a different person even though it's you, it's still you. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's, I think that happens with, with, uh, I mean, it's just hard for people to, to really wrap their heads around having those multiple, multiple as, uh, facets to, to a character. And so it's easy just to see like a fat Mike is a, a crazy druggy punker. That's just pissing in, pissing in your shot glass, you know, or whatever. Yeah, the tequila bottle. Yeah. Tequila <laughs> bottle. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but like, I know for a fact, he can like just hang out and have a conversation and 
talk, you know? So it's like, okay, people can do that. Even though if you never see that happening with your own eyes, it, it, it happens. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny how, you know, like we're talking about records that you put out as a teenager, you know, like today, like these are snapshots in a very long full life that become so paramount to people's lives. Like in the same way that like, you know, Damage by Black Flag is a huge record for me, but that's just like probably like, you know, a, a couple years in their lives, you know, but yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's a whole way of thinking. I love it. I mean, first four years for me was, was like my intro to Black Flag and that I would just blast in my bedroom. And, and to me, it was like, I was, I was like almost reliving this, a scene from, from uh, The Rejected. Is that the right? Is that the name of the movie? The Suburbia? Suburbia, yes. Name yes. Is yes. Suburbia. I used to watch that movie over and over. <laughs> and I don't even know the name of it. But uh that's how long it's been. But uh yeah, there's a scene where one of the one of the punkers is in his bedroom and he's just listening to the seven inch, and it's like some gnarly punk seven inch. It's like da, 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 da. and like I would put on Black Flag first four years and listen to those songs and feel the same way you know put on the seven inch boom and uh i don't know punk rock gave me that feeling of just like fuck i'm alive you know boom yeah and and, and writing songs wasn't necessarily the exact same feeling like it's almost like writing songs is another like it's not the same feeling it's another way to feel alive for sure you feel good about yourself you've you've done something um but the the being a fan of punk rock and just feeling the the energy course through your blood and you're just yeah everything just you just want to bounce off the walls like that's i hope people do that to my shit all the time like that's what i want people to do to mxpx like that's because that's what i did you know mm-hmm. i put on a record i bounced around my room I think we did a we did a, a video called for a song called My Mistake, where we're all in our own bedrooms and we're like just pretending to be rock stars. And it's just that was true to life. It was really like that back then. Well, I, you know, from doing the show, you you are that to a lot of people. Like there have been, you know, people lots of people that have come on the show and talked about how you were that band for these people, you know. And it's it's funny because I think growing up at the time, like we we're talking about how polarized it was or like i was saying how polarized it was and how dogmatic everything was you know like for me i was always like oh tooth and nails recruiting it's a recruitment tool and it was until i talked to julian baker and and just some other people i've talked to that i realized how much no this was like a a window for people that were christian kids that didn't necessarily jive with what their parents were into to get out into the world and to see other worlds and how much how important mxpx was as like a gateway band for people yeah, that's true. That's that's so true. Unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, we were like we, you know, us and Blink One Eighty Two were like Fisher Prize for punkers, you know, um, and with us, with uh, with the kids that weren't allowed to listen to like crude music and stuff, it really it really got them through a lot of hard times. And and it's like, how can you be bummed about that, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like it's pretty cool, um, and, and the fact that we were like nowadays we've got this whole new career in, you know, in the, in the, what do you call these? The 2020s and the twenties. It's like, it's insane how much we've, we've really changed over the years yet stayed the same and, and blossomed and, and adapted. And 
So it's uh, it's one thing if we did all that back in those days and didn't really make anything of it. But I feel like we've really, truly um, given it as much as we can, given it our best try. And we made a, a self-titled record in 2018 that I felt like was our best record, you know, in a long time. And then um, I'm working on stuff right now and I've vowed to make it our, our best record. <laughs> so it's like, mm -hmm. you know, if we can do that, you know, 30 years in, um, things are good. Life is good. Yeah, no, that's the thing is you're, you're, you know, obviously an incredible songwriter. And so I think that's something that you carry with you your whole life, but you know, you did a split with the McRankins and you're still <laughs> doing music. <laughs> like that's incredible. Know. There, you know, sadly, there's not a lot of bands that were able to do splits with McRankins that were able to find a way to carry the career on and make it a career. But, you know, like, I think that's the, that's the amazing thing about this genre that like, it is this weird thing that, like you said, like you look back after all the broken down vans and all the bummer shows with only 14 people there and holy shit, like this was my life. Like I, I managed to do it. Yeah, it's been insane. It's been insane. And, and being able to adapt through the pandemic has been, uh, I don't know, either the luckiest or the smartest thing we've ever really done in our career, you know, because <laughs> we've truly grown as a band and so years a couple of years ago actually you know i was talking to my business partner tom and and we were basically just saying like we don't want to get stuck i i don't personally i was telling him i don't personally want to have to play live to pay bills hmm. i want to i love touring i love playing live and i will still do it to pay bills if i have to of course but i don't want that to be like that's how we make our money if I can help it. And so like one of my goals was, was truly to like figure that out. And, and we were already doing that when the pandemic hit. And of course we were still playing live and a bunch of things got, got, you know, shut down, but, but uh, the adaptation has been insane. Um, and I'm just, I'm excited for the future. I, and I know there's weird things like it's still not quite regular nowadays, but I know it will be eventually, you know, it's, it's only a matter of time. It's, it's, in time, things will be good. So as far as the, the live touring stuff. Well, it feels like also like right now, um, you know, I've only been to a few shows, but people want that uplifting punk. You know, people want mm -hmm. to feel good and get the energy out. And, you know, like it's, it's not a time for a, a new Rollins band record, sadly. It's time for uplifting stuff and, and just people yeah. getting excited again. And it's hard, though, because if you really are true to yourself, there's not yes. always a lot to be happy about, no. let's face it, you know, but very hard time to be uplifted. But but, you know, it's almost like you have to take those negative thoughts and somehow figure out what's the angle, what's what's the upside to what can I write about, you know, that's going to uplift people. And, you know, honestly, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do right now is like that's probably my biggest challenge is how do I continue to be more positive and less negative? Because it's almost as a songwriter, it's very easy to write negative stuff. Very much easier for me personally. Like when your, your girlfriend breaks up with you back in the day, right? You're pissed and, or you're bummed and you use those emotions to write a great song. When you're happy, you just want to go out, get on the boat, whatever, whatever it is, you know, you go, what are you guys people doing out there? Frisbee golf up in Canada? <laughs> uh, there might be some froth going on. There might be a little froth. Uh, 
froth. Uh, it's a real sport, you know. I think that's. I think I watched this thing on because my kids are into sports. I was not. I was an indoor kid who played D and D, so I was not an outdoor guy. But my kids are, and we were watching sports, and we watched some guy make a frisbee golf shot that was incredible. One of the most incredible things I ever saw, and I was like, I got to get into the sport now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like everything's all about the shot, the thing, the jump, the yeah, you know. Yo, you best be having a camera every everywhere you go these days. Well, that's why we're all filmed twenty four seven now. It's yeah, it is kind of weird. It bugs people. It bu it bugs my guitar player Tom. He's like, anytime I'm filming him, he's like, got to get that content. I'm like, dude, I'm just filming you because you're handsome. Well, it's funny because like now they've turned being a band into like it's it's now it's a job but like it really yeah, is now yeah. like you have to be it's not like oh we'll put out a record we'll tour it for a year then we'll do a new one like now it's like you you put out the record and then you got to start doing the work like you got to start making that content every single day like or else you know like no one hears about your band like it's just such a weird different world and like like you were saying but with your band like it was built on people handing tapes to each other so it should still be able to happen without this social media stuff, but it doesn't anymore. It's real weird. It, it, it is strange. And, and, you know, we're always struggling with how to reach our fans. It's, it's, it's one thing to try to be trying to like find new fans, but how do you even just reach the fans that, you know, want to come see you sh your show, mm -hmm. you know, they want your, your new album, but finding those people, them finding you, I guess is, is, really the challenge and that's going to continue to be a challenge for a lot of bands well really all bands anybody being creative like that um going forward because it's going to you know it, things are going to change quickly and they're going to keep changing and you know you're going to have to be next thing you know you're going to wake up and you'll you'll have one of those like oct octal goggles on or whatever i don't know what they're called but google glass right the, yeah the some glass, sort of yeah. like yeah some sort of thing, which which i'm down with as long as it, it looks good <laughs> yes yeah they need they need to get the uh the design on those a little bit different like they look like those transition lenses like everyone looks like a like some sort of criminal when they're wearing those somehow yeah oh yeah <laughs> well uh mike this has been incredible and anytime you want to come back on here and and talk about music please know the door is always open would love to. When we get the new record ready to go, uh, would be great. Um, one last question before I go, which is, I want to. I've always wondered how did the the art for life in general come about with Coop. Um, you know, we just we wanted Coop to do the artwork, and we asked him to do it, and Tooth and Nail was willing to pay, so it was pretty expensive, but we did it. <laughs> we, we made it happen. And he, he just, it was just another, we were another client, I guess. So we didn't tell him who we were or what we were doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that might be one of the, the most mind boggling collaborations that came out of the nineties. But, uh, and this has been one of the most mind boggling collaborations that's come out of my basement. So anytime you want to come on here, Mike, Absolutely. please do. Thanks, Damien. Thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. And you're right there. Mike will be back for a part two when they finish that new record. Once again, check out Mike's podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts now. Uh, all right. Coming up later on this week on the show, why not another splits episode? I'm having fun recording these. And this one, 
Well, this might be the last of them. This might end it for all of us. Uh, coming up on the next episode of Turned Out of Punk Splits, reuniting and coming back to the show, uh, Danko Jones will be here, who has been on Turned Out of Punk many, many times over the years, a good friend of mine, and, and I've been on his podcast, but he will be joined by coming back to the show from all the way back at episode 17 of Turned Out of Punk, from Sloan, from Tons. Chris Murphy will be here. And oh my gosh, Danko and Chris together. This is a good one. I'm excited for you to hear it. All right, that is it for the show. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people different of faith and just knock it all that hate. Because at the end of the day, these are political issues. These are human rights issues. People have the right to be free and to have freedom over their own bodies and to be able to just live their lives. So get involved right now. Like there's, there's opportunity to get involved on every single level, find out what's going on in this world. Look at organizations that are doing positive work, lend your, your time, your, your money, if you can afford it, your, your body to, to be at, of protests and, and causes you agree with because they, they will take your rights away. And I say they, I, I, I mean like this, like amorphous <laughs> ball of fascist bullshit that just seems to float around over our heads and like, God, can't we just be free? You know, uh, go there and make your own culture. Anyone can do this stuff. Start a podcast, start a band, start a fanzine, start a sticker company, start a, start something. Uh, anyone can do this stuff um, and it helps your mental health. You know, maybe just draw a picture for yourself. Speaking of helping your mental health, uh, try meditating. Cause I tried it. I didn't believe in it and it works for me. And if it worked for me, maybe it'll work for you. Who knows, but you're no worse off having tried it. Right. Shoo. Uh, speaking of trying things, try signing your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them and it can help someone's life immensely. And I've seen it happen and gosh, it's amazing. So Please do that. All right. That is it. Stay safe, everyone. I love you, and I will see you on the next episode. I'm excited for you this year, to hear this one. Oh, man. I'm excited to edit this one. Talk to you soon. Bye.